we are days, literally days away from Max Scherzer adding a red rose to his Twitter name. <laughs> like that, that's that's how that's how the MLB are going. That's where that's where we're going here. <laughs> Hello and welcome to season six of Battery Mates. I am Matthew in sunny London. I'm joined by Toby in Chicago. Toby, how are you doing? I'm great. It's snowy here. It has not stopped snowing for uh, two and a half weeks. Um, it's which is you know a, it's a lot for even for Chicago. Um, but uh, you know it is pitchers and catchers report day, um, which means it is. I I think we should officially christen this battery mates day um <laughs> across the across it's unfortunately never falls on the same day in the calendar but um happy battery mates day everybody and uh this is season six you know uh just a quick recap of what we've been through together as a as a, a podcast here uh you know we when we got we got started uh, in season one we got to see my heart get broken uh in game seven of the world series um we also elected a, a, a wannabe fascist that was great um in season two and three there was baseball i don't really remember much of that there i, <laughs> I don't remember what happened season four uh matthew you reached the pinnacle in seven games of a world series um and then in season five uh we had the astros cheating their way to a world series or a championship we found out about it i guess that happened in season one of the other earlier seasons um and we had a global pandemic and now we're here today in season six, uh, ready for a new beginning. We've had 127,000 downloads of this program, um, which only 126,824 were my machines, um, <laughs> my various accounts. Um, so we embark on a six I season. Like to think that, I like to think that means we've had over 100,000 listeners. <laughs> but they only bothered listening to like one and a half episodes each. <laughs> Apple Podcasts has recommended this baseball podcast. And like, what the fuck is this podcast? <laughs> They're talking about politics. <laughs> this is bullshit. Um, so uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, we, you know, we for season six, we decided to change things up a little bit. Um, so, uh, you know, after five great seasons, we're going to say goodbye to our co-host, Toby. Um, and uh, that's not that's not that that is not the, the shakeup. Um, I, I actually could hear people cheering. I think I heard Baratsky yeah. cheering. Um, we decided it's time for shakeup, and we're going to change up our guest format. So instead of having them on one half-hearted attempt at empathy segment, we're going to do we're going to have them around for the entire episode and a a whole lot of half-hearted attempts at empathy. Um, so with that in mind, Matthew, you want to introduce our very first guest of season six? Uh, I am absolutely delighted to introduce Mike Casca, the comms director for uh, Bernie Sanders. Uh, we uh, had the idea of having Mike on because uh, he's a Dodgers fan and uh, Toby and I both despise the Dodgers even more so now. They are the world champions. Uh, so, Mike, it's great to have you on. Great to be here. I'm excited to be here, guys. And it's pictures again to say and look what came in the mail just, just today. Wow. Yeah. My baseball prospectus, which I'm very excited about. That is that is weighty. It is. It's a big one. It's a big one. You know, it's a nice. I love that guy on the cover is pretty great too. <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah. Wait, excited uh, to be here though. 
we are we are we are an audio only um podcast so i have to share with our listeners that when mike dialed in for this uh for just before we started recording it popped up on our screen with a world champions uh dodgers hoodie on which is uh kind of irritating but uh, <laughs> we'll we'll get on to talk about the 2019 nlcs uh, shortly we're going to start up um uh we've got uh around the horn coming up and then we'll do a deep dive um with mike and and his dodgers fandom and and what a hell of a year it's been uh for them and and what a hell of a year it's going to be for them 120 wins uh season coming up um but before we get into that we're gonna we're gonna with this new format we're gonna do a rapid fire get to know you for for listeners um uh who only know your job title so far so we just go got some quick fire uh questions for you start off with the one that i think isn't going to be a surprise to people given the introduction we've just given <laughs> who is your favorite team and why the los angeles dodgers i grew up uh about an hour away from dodger stadium going to games from the time i was four years old and i've loved them and hated them in some years ever since uh who was your favorite player growing up my favorite player growing up is ken griffey jr um i spent Hours and hours in a batting cage during Little League practice trying to swing like Ken Griffey Jr. I still love him today. I'm so happy MLB hired him for the job that he got. I think he's great for the game. Um, yeah, big Ken Griffey Jr. fan. I was the one he got hired over, but it was, <laughs> it, it was the right call. They made the right choice. I think it was, yeah, it yeah. was close, but the right call. <laughs> Good for Bachelor Makes Nation that you didn't, you didn't lose you to MLB. Um, Universal DH, yes or no? For it. Absolutely for it. Oh. <laughs> Matthew's heart is breaking. Uh, okay, this is question four. You just caught a foul ball. What's your next move? Handed to the nearest child. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's coming straight back into the game. Well played. <laughs> well played. Uh, number five, Trevor Bauer. On a scale of one to ten, how much will you personally regret this signing within the next year? Uh, it's a pretty easy eight and a half. Uh <laughs> Currently, at a, I'm, I had to say I'm currently did a, the Dodgers did a tweet today of him arriving um, uh, at Camelback Ranch, and it just <laughs> oozes terribleness, and I'm just not excited, not happy, you know, not great. As a Cleveland fan, um, I can tell you I've been through ups and downs with Trevor Bauer quite a bit. So anytime you need advice, um, it's, I'm here. Uh, <laughs> I will say the coolest thing he's ever done was when he chucked the ball over center field from the pitcher's mound. That yeah. is the coolest thing he's – that is the one and only cool thing he's ever done. That was the we, his final appearance as a Cleveland baseball player. Yeah. That was, that was like, it's like, never, never seen that before. Thought it was an amazing physical feat. Love the emotion behind it, but everything else is just horrible. We had almost an entire seg segment of, of the show on that one incident. The thing that was incredible to me was that he could throw the ball that far, but also that he didn't seem to put much effort into doing so. Yeah. Really, uh, yeah, he really can throw the ball pretty hard. Okay, last up it is the bottom of the sixth. The beer vendor is coming around with the last call. You look down and you see you only have half a beer left. What is your strategy from that point on? Bottom of the six are about to run out. Right. So I'm trying to get two beers. If I'm with somebody, we're each getting two. You got to get the limit. You got to get through the rest of the innings, you know, especially six, you know, you're talking about stretching seventh, eighth, and ninth. It's going to be long. Uh, the two beer limits, obviously, something you got to be strategic about. Always bring someone. My mom is this person for me to come to the game with me who doesn't drink. Uh, <laughs> I actually invented this strategy when I went to a Backstreet Boys concert with her and my sister. <laughs> 
uh, I was able to get six beers at this Backstreet Boy concert, and it was great because like they weren't drinking, and I was just it was throwing it back. It was great. So you gotta have have a designated person there who you can say, you know, hey, yeah, this person's also having two. That way, you get four, you're all set. That is a borderline perfect perfect answer. But just to follow <laughs> up, um, are you with the two beers? Are you going? Uh, two twenties, or do you want to like a a a bud twenty and maybe like something a bit a bit artisanal for the afters with a Stella Artois or so what, the, what are you doing with the, what are you doing? How are you spreading your two beers there? It's the it's the sixth I've already eaten probably. I'm mm-hmm. some so I'm like get to the ballpark early, eat before, watch batting practice. You're you are you are at work after the first pitch. You're not there to go check a walk around whatever. I'm going to the bathroom. Maybe once or twice, and then I'm getting like so that that beer is like that beer is doing work. It's gonna be like a Bud Light, something like that. You know, so it goes down easy. You know, none of the what are they? I, they have the uh, shock top at Nats Park. Uh, yeah. No, no well, I mean, two things on that. Firstly, Bud Light, we have, have to we'll we'll diverge paths at that point. But um, also, I'm 42 years old, so one or two trips to the bathroom is not happening anymore in my life. So that's like end of each inning visit to the bathroom but other than that i think that was a that was a great rapid fire it was almost yeah. almost perfect score <laughs> just the universal <laughs> dh is the, <laughs> the issue just the universal DH. i mean that's a big one to be fair so i love it so should we go around the horn here uh and really talk dig in on the um you know this segment um for those of you who are unaware uh, maybe our guest um is really just about what's you know uh, us unpacking what's happened since the last time we recorded. So um, you know, there's four stories here that uh, I think um, you know a lot to talk about. The very first one, um, we have to talk about Major League Baseball's you know embarrassing and blatant efforts to make the players look bad um, in these like pseudo negotiations. Um, so to catch people up, what happened was early you know a couple weeks ago there was this uh, <laughs> fake. Uh, offer of uh, giving the players the universal DH uh, for what the owners wanted, which is the extended playoffs. And that was, you know, roundly rejected. Then, you know, uh, there was an offer, I guess a real offer of shortening the season to, I think, 154 games, but starting it about a month later, um, but also having uh, extended playoffs. And the players didn't accept that offer either. um, And there are a lot of, you know, labor reasons why uh related to this, the current cba that, that governs their the their contracts and uh and baseball like literally complained that they didn't negotiate um which would have hurt their standing um but the, the fallout since then has been about this covid briefing that the players allegedly refused to attend from that the white house gave major league baseball um that whole they leaked to the reporters that baseball that the players wouldn't even attend the briefing that turned out to be not true they wanted to have a separate briefing which happened the next day anyway then major league baseball leaks that the government recommended against starting on time uh and the players ignored that recommendation and that turned out to be not true um fauci in interview this weekend said that um he didn't want to he pointedly did not make a recommendation on when they should start because he doesn't want to wade into labor issues things that he knew were controversial between the players and the owners anyway with the upcoming cba uh, expiring uh you know the end of this year after the season this doesn't bode well this looks really bad this is like a really bad look um for major league baseball and 
maybe I'm just uh, always going to side with the the players here, but ah, uh. <laughs> we we are days, literally days away from Max Scherzer adding a red rose to his Twitter name. <laughs> Like that that's that's how that's how the MLB are going. That's where that's where we're going here. I mean this is like this is a shit show. And we're a year we're still like early in the season of the ZBA. I will say to the to the I'm sure the folks from the Players Association are are listening. So I am available to help when it comes to press work. It seems like you need some help. Uh you're kinda getting worked <laughs> over by the by the Major League Baseball office. You know, this is um it's a classic thing that we all have seen in politics that we see now, which is workers kind of getting pushed around. And to be honest, the media, and this is a big problem largely in sports, is the, the media is happy to talk to the corporate office and think that whatever comes down from the commissioner is some, you know, why would they tell us? Why would they try to spin us? Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's um, you know, I think I think uh, Draymond Green made this point uh, a couple of days ago, the player for the Warriors, and he was like, Basically, like <clears throat> when owners want to do something, it's considered this like very noble. We're trying, you know, they want to trade somebody because they're helping the team. And then when a player says, "I don't want to play here anymore because they're not committed to winning," suddenly he's selfish and, and all this other stuff. And I think there's this natural bias that comes from the media. Uh, it happens in politics, especially happens in sports po- um, sports media, where players who are trying to uh, or keep to an agreement they've already been that's already been agreed to are somehow seen as like not doing what they're supposed to do and aren't they selfish? Don't they want the fans to watch them? Uh, we're seeing this play out with teachers unions everywhere all over the country where people are being told, don't listen to listen to us, the folks who have profit interests and want to actually make money, but that's never talked about right. in the media. Like that's never mentioned, right? Like it, it's all the way it's all the way down from from the conversation about the minimum wage. If we if we raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars, then everyone's gonna get. We're gonna have to triple the the price of the burgers. Like, come, come it's on. always the burgers too. Like, it's never. It... It's always the burgers. Yeah. It's always the burgers. Uh, well, I mean, I don't like burgers that much, but if they touch the price of the chicken nuggets, I'm um, I'm, I'm out. But you know, it's it's exactly right that we talked in the last episode about the value of the franchises that. Um, of these people we're talking about and even then the media will be like ah well you're trying to make it billionaires versus millionaires no we're trying to make it about whether people are getting compensated fairly for their labor in the concept in the context of how much uh, everyone's getting paid like it's okay that um uh, yeah. max scherzer earns a lot of money because he's bringing in a lot of money that's that's how that's how the exchange of goods and services works yeah it's like um you know i remember when the cubs won and um what's his name, like, accepted the trophy on behalf of the team. And it was this very, it's always a funny moment. We obviously experienced this, too, this year, when team wins the World Series and, like, outtrots this guy who you, <laughs> you never hear from. Who's this? Oh, the you know, the, the, our, our, the owner had this, you know, incredibly long, or this, the guy who was representing this uh, ownership stake, this incredibly long-winded, prepared speech about the team and everything. And look, I won't, like, they are enabling the, the the teams to be able to play they're paying for it i totally understand that but that doesn't give them the right to to spend all day trying to find ways to hurt players and especially going back on an agreement and like i think i think y'all are flagging a really important problem which is the end of the year where are these two sides going to land in a really critical bargaining period yeah i guess this is something we'll just have to keep an eye on i imagine that this isn't going away uh 
you know, Matthew and I were kind of joking, maybe not joking about getting a, a, a labor correspondent for um, for this season because it's it's just there's there's so much we I, I feel like I don't fully rec- you know understand about the the workings of the inner workings of the CBA and what's going to be at stake here, but uh, um, it's not off to a great start. <laughs> this this is our time to shine. This is a baseball podcast about politics. It, if we don't, it really if we is. Don't, if we don't, if we don't get the CBA right, we we're gonna have to shut down. In, but it is funny that there's no there's no one who you can think of who's on ESPN, who's on covering this stuff for the Athletic, who is specifically. It's very odd. There are labor agreements that govern almost every single sport that is played in this country. And there is not a sports labor report. Dave Zirin at the nation is probably the only one, but he's a call, you know, he, but he's not on TV. So, you know, some of these folks are expected, you know, they're, you know, turning ESPN any moment. There's a bunch of folks who are the mouthpieces for owners and the leagues. And there isn't a lot and players are kind of left to, and this is a great example of players left to fight for themselves. And, Navigating the media when the media is opposed to your general approach to the world <laughs> yeah. is really difficult. And yeah. I look, speaking as Bernie Sanders communications director, <laughs> I, I I know how hard that is. We, we I mean we, we we think in politics that the the media has a problem of stenography. Uh, that ain't nothing compared to baseball sports writing. And you know the 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 thing that's funny for me about you know as Toby was going through that list of things, it was just like. This is PR strategy by the numbers. You can see the strings being yeah. pulled from a million miles away <laughs> and no one's calling that out. And you're just sort of looking at this thinking to the journalist, like, you can see this happening. Why don't why don't you just call it that out? Is I mean it's really incredible. I mean the media are in a are in a tough spot. Yeah. Uh, sorry, the, the players are in a tough spot. And these and these, these these writers who are just carrying the water for uh ownership is is it's it's kind of it's embarrassing, right? I mean, Ken Rosenthal is a good reporter, like, and he's he seen he must know what he's doing when he reports that the players refuse to attend the White House uh, briefing. It's like that's it's just you know. There's a there's a, a comms guy in Britain worked for Jeremy Corbyn called Matt Zab Cousin who's now doing a lot of work on um, anti gambling, uh, which is a huge huge part of. Uh, sports in in England when he worked for Labour because of the skewed nature of media in the UK where almost all of the newspapers are very 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 aggressively pro-conservative he said that doing comms for the conservatives is like playing video games on the easy mode and and I, it just feels a little bit like that when you're an owner in baseball you're like you're playing the CBA media game on easy <laughs> it's, it's so skewed well think about this like think about just the dynamic of during the season Players are expected to sit in their lockers and answer questions before the game. They got to sit and answer questions after the game. They're constantly in front of the media. When was the last time an owner was forced? Only when they win do they speak to the press. That's it. That's it. There's no there's no venue <laughs> for the press to say, you know, hey, why does your team suck this year? What's the deal with this? What's the deal with that? Right? Look at you know, if you're the owner of the Rockies. You never have to speak to the, the press ever again. So what you know? What are you worried about? And I think it's a the dynamics are just, but you're right. You bring up Ken Rosenthal. Others are good examples. Um, I think it's hard. They just genuinely have a worldview that the players should be grateful yeah. and that they shouldn't complain. And um, the problem is, I don't think Ken Rosenthal feels that way about his own work. <laughs> if the folks at the Athletic were like, "Hey, sorry, bud, uh, we're gonna we're gonna undo your contract. Don't worry though, it's for your benefit. And if you complain, we're gonna go bl- blame you for it." <laughs> Um, yeah. So sometimes it's just getting these folks to see things through their own their own situations. 
uh, they say that you know well these guys get they get paid millions of dollars to play a kid's sport <laughs> so you you get paid uh, tens and tens of thousands of dollars to write about kids sport so <laughs> simmer down yeah I, that's the that's the funniest thing it's like you you're you're part of the ecosystem man don't pretend like you know this is some silly thing that you're a part of it's like you gotta you're gonna take it seriously take it seriously if you're not and get out of the business you bring up owners and um i'm gonna put my cleveland fat fan hat back on um Paul Dolan, who's the, the the face of the Dolan's family that that owns the Cleveland Baseball Club, he um, last time he spoke to the press was about I guess two years ago when he in an interview with the Athletic said uh, the, the about Francisco Lindor and his contract. He said this is two this is two years ago. Yeah, it's two years ago. He said. Uh, you know, we have a we, we have every intention of, of wanting to hold on to him, but you know, you have to you, look. We have uh, Francisco Lindor under control for three more seasons. You know, as, as a fan, you just got to enjoy him. Um, and it was like one of those moments where uh, you know you start to see people wear "Enjoy Him" T-shirts to the stadium just to mock our owner. Um, and he hasn't spoken to press since that interview, um, not not on on the record. And one thing, just to plant a flag, we'll probably also be covering this for a while if this comes to fruition. But uh, I think his cousin or brother uh, is potentially going to run for that Portman seat. Um, so uh, a Cleveland baseball club owner who is a Republican um, or has, has uh, ran as a Republican before uh, may be running for the United States Senate. And we can have <laughs> maybe all, maybe the money we're not spending on Francisco Lindor is going to be spent on right. that Senate race. <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. But here, let's pivot to another issue, um, you know, the second in the round the horn. Um, another issue, well, this actually is one where Major League Baseball comes out looking great. Um, <laughs> just joking. Um, so uh, Sports Illustrated had a report that uh, baseball accidentally juiced the ball in 2020. Uh, pro- it sounds like they accidentally did it. Uh, maybe they did it on purpose. Um, and it corresponded with baseball putting out a statement the next day uh, saying that they're – or sent a memo to teams, actually – Saying that they are going to be uh, uh, minor minor adjustments to the ball this season, and the ball is going to travel maybe one to two feet shorter uh, on long drives. Uh, this is this is the whole thing is is uh, just reeks of shenanigans. Um, but the one thing I want to call out before we dive into this is the the uh, astrophysicist Dr. Meredith Wills is the one who kind of uncovered. That baseball was doctor was was doctoring the ball, uh, even after in 2017 they denied having done this. Um, it, it, it appears they immediately started doing it uh, after they, you know, vehemently denied uh, purposely uh, doctoring the ball or changing the ball's uh, core. It, it, this is how she did it. She had a network of of smugglers uh, take balls, people who work for teams. People in the stands, people the grounds crew take balls out of Major League Baseball stadiums for the past couple seasons, um, and found uh, and took them apart. Took the baseballs apart and found that a third of baseballs used in 2020 were sm- slightly smaller and slightly lighter, and likely flew farther. Um, so, anyway, <laughs> what do you guys make of this? That <laughs> what do we what do we to believe about the baseball uh, and what Major League Baseball is doing to it? The thing is, with with MLB on an issue like this, there is a chance that they're being nefarious and and trying to uh, cheat fans, and there is a chance that they are total morons. And and it is really on any given issue, it's kind of a coin toss. 
Like, who knows which of those two things it can be on any given day? We, we, um, this after, um, in the summer after the, you know, the, in the middle of the pandemic, my family and I, um, took a trip for two weeks up to Cooperstown and we visited the Hall of Fame for the first time, which was an amazing experience. It's fantastic. If you haven't been, it's worth it. Also, Cooperstown is beautiful. Otsego Lake, it's a fantastic place. What's great about the Hall of Fame, though, is that every time you turn a corner, there's some scandal that they're trying to explain, <laughs> right? There's some like, you know, you, there's it, it's it's a the it's really well done. The whole thing is beautiful. I, I really enjoyed it. My kids enjoyed it, and it was a really nice thing. But like every feet, there's like you know, oh, dealing with this, dealing with the black socks, dealing with this, dealing with, and this is like con- you know, constantly. And part of it is, I think, what I feel in these moments is. Um, you know, and I feel this way about the Hall of Fame voting and everything is like, like, let's just be real that this stuff is happening. It's always been a part of the game. The imperfections, the all, you know, finding an edge, all this stuff, the line, you know, Bauer's a good example. Is he doctoring the ball? Is he not? Yes, he is. But like, <laughs> I, like, you know, like I, I, what I find, what I love about baseball are the imperfections, are the things that the teams that shouldn't win the teams that for many years should have won and didn't. Um, and so that to me is where I find my passion for the game. And I wish there was a more honest conversation about like, yeah, this stuff happens. We're going to do all we can to fix it. Real punishment when it gets caught looking at the Astros. Um, but like, this is not like what's good about the hall of fame is they don't shy away from scandal and cheating and rigging and everything being part of the game. And I think sometimes Manfred and the commissioner's office are just like a fr- like I honestly believe the commissioner doesn't really like baseball that much. He's not really into it. He doesn't really get it. It's a job. It's fun. He gets to go work outside, I guess, when he's at the stadiums. I don't know what he likes about it, but like, you know, and this is you go and you read the you know, the the names and the plaques of the people who've been elected to the Hall of Fame and you'll find you know, you'll find incredible heroes. You'll find violent racists all kind like there's deep contradictions in the people that we celebrate and the things that we love and hate about the game and that's honestly how i mean i i I jokingly said at the top that i both love and hate the dodgers but that's that is honestly how i feel about the team my passion for them was forged in the mike piazza trade (laughs) like (laughs) nothing made me angrier than watching him go to new york and i think like that is a key part of this and sometimes when i you know this stuff happens it's treated with this kind of like, oh, you know, like it's a memo sent to teams and we're going to fix the baseball. And it'd be better just to be like, yeah, the Astros <laughs> knew what pitch were, what pitch was coming. That's why Altuve hit that ball out. Like, that's what happened. You know, <laughs> instead of this, like, just be clear about it. That's all. I, that's all I ask of the MLB folks is like, just be real about it. I, uh, I, I love. Uh, uh, sorry, Toby. I, I, I just I, I love at Cooperstown that they've got the um, the baseball that, that Barry Bonds uh, hit to break the the record with the gigantic asterisk stamped on the side i mean that that really is incredible i mean that is such a a harsh um uh reflection on on bonds and to have it in the hall of fame uh the museum is i think really impressive the the my favorite bit about the um about the the the, the whole story about the the ball being juiced unjuiced the first response I read to this, this, the when the breaking the breaking news about it was from some fan, just like a random fan, saying, "God damn it! Why can't they just do nothing to the ball? 
It's like, well, you have to make the ball. <laughs> you, have to, you have to make the ball somehow. So like they grow on trees. You just have to just yeah. It's right. like there's a there's a virgin ball <laughs> factory yeah. that just comes down. It's like okay, once they've dropped from the skies. Don't do anything, and no one touch it. It's just incredible. But yeah, I mean, they, 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 they. It, 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 it could be they just like the factory just like fucked stuff up. It could be that they decided they wanted there to be more home runs. They could just say that. They could just say, "Hey, people really like home runs. We're gonna try and make there be more home runs." Yeah. I don't know, but I'm I'm the same as you, uh, Mike. I, I just the imperfections of the game are what um, the, the, the talking about it. You know, we have this debate in the UK with the soccer with the VAR video uh, uh, referee, and you know it, it sucks. And I still, I still don't like video replays on outs and everything else. It's just sometimes they're going to get it wrong, and then we can talk about that. That's what that's what the game is for. <laughs> we could talk to each other and like live human lives and like enjoy things and get angry about things and whatever else. I just I just hate that that, that, that trying to make this whole thing scientifically perfect. It's not going to be. It shouldn't yeah, be. It's, it wouldn't be interesting, you know. Uh, in the in the you know uh, the ro- the robot strike zone and and all this stuff. And, you know, it's a it's to me it's um. You know, there's some stuff that's obviously egregious that should be fixed and and you know you want things you don't want things like the. Um, perfect games to be ruined and all this other right. stuff because of bad calls and all that. But at the same time, you know, it is the stuff, it is the, the things that you see happen that are amazing. And I still, you know, like the Bonsting is a great example. I remember, I remember when he, when he broke the record, yeah. you know, and I, and I remember the summer, I remember Sosa and Maguire and those memories, while they have different definitions for me now, because of what we know now, I will still remember watching Sunday night baseball when Mark Wire hit that little, you know, to break the record, hit that little tiny line drive into the McDonald's <laughs> sign. Like, I'll remember that forever. And I think, you know, we live in this, in this, um, it's so data, you know, I, I showed the baseball prospectus earlier. Like, we're, it's so data driven. We want to know, you know, we want to know, no, 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 no. And politics is this way too, right? Like, so many people present themselves as folks who know things. And what's great about this game is like, crazy shit happens that shouldn't happen. Yeah. And yeah. that's what's great about it. And I yeah. think um, sometimes that's not really, it's something I'm trying to teach my son. And, you know, my daughter obviously is like, that's, it's, that's what makes it so much like life and so much and so interesting. It's so true to like how we've all lived our lives. is just like the craziest, dumbest shit happens. And that's like part of what it's like to be a person. <laughs> I, um, I just got to say, if, if the ball traveling one to two feet uh, shorter on long drives is true thing um, for a team that, uh, the Clevelands, we have no real offensive uh, power, so that sounds great to me. <laughs> We're pitching first team, so I'm hoping this is true. But I think Matthew, your point, like I think that the idea that they really don't, they can't even their, their statements about this seem to be in conflict with the facts of this um, Sports Illustrated report. Like it, it, it all the whole thing seems to indicate that maybe they're just bungling the whole. Thing. They're just not actually. They don't actually know what the truth is, um, even though they own part of Rawlings. Um, okay, so uh, should we, let's get this, the, the last two around the horn. Let's do these these quicker to uh, kind of plow through this so we can get to the the meat of this interview here. Um, uh, the, the Dodgers are going for it. The two hundred fifty million pay, dollar payroll, the only team over the luxury tax, and about twenty two or you know, if we're not being charitable, twenty five maybe teams aren't going for it at all. They're just you know. They, the Clevelands have a you know, $45, 50000000 million payroll. 
um, and uh, teams are crying poor. Uh, I guess is what is the the luxury tax um, and the Dodgers just, you know, basically saying, you know, we, we, we're gonna we're gonna pay it. Um, that, what does that did that have a bad effect on or a good effect on the rest of the league? And you know, what do you guys think is uh, about those twenty two to twenty five teams? Toby, I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, this is the only thing I don't have an opinion on, and I think it's totally fine. <laughs> no, I, I think, I, Matthew, you could probably speak to this too, which is like we've seen this in, obviously, in, um, in uh, football in the UK uh, and, and, and Europe generally. You know, you get to a place where you have these giant teams who they're never out of the league. They're always, you know, they're in the Champions League, and, and success begets success. Now, that's not the same as MLB. Obviously, there's not, we don't have a, a Champions League where that money goes, plows back into money and makes more money. Um, but it is a, I know, I know we're the poster child for it now. Um, but it is a, it is a disheartening part of the game. You know, this, the deal here is like you've got a pool of players, you put them together. You hopefully build a winning team and you know that's basically it when you can throw relatively unlimited money around um you know it makes the decisions a lot easier i think andrew friedman is a very smart person i think he's also deal he's been dealt an incredible hand so yeah. uh you know he did had some great success in tampa bay he's done some great stuff in la but you know obviously like he's just dealing with a different set of cards than everyone else i'm actually more surprised that more teams aren't going over the luxury tax, luxury tax. Um, it, it, I think the Yankees have in a few seasons, the Red Sox have, I think Dodgers haven't in a while, which is one of the reasons why they're, they're able to this season. Cause there's a, you know, increased penalty for doing it multiple seasons in a row. Um, anyway, Matthew, anything you want to wait, you know, well, before we, before I answer the question, I just want to say, Mike, I really appreciate you calling it football just now. I appreciate you. That's that was, that was my good. my my wife uh, grew up in the UK. She's Panamanian, but she she spent from two to fifteen living in London. So we spend a lot of time in London. So I got to respect. Obviously, not going to call it soccer or anything. Yeah, that that's great. I I I call football football when I'm talking about football, and I also call football football when I'm talking about football. So I, I kind of depends on the on on the topic and the audience. Uh, on the on the, I mean, this season is basically. Dodgers versus Padres and NL East. That's that's the only baseball that is happening in the upcoming season. Everyone else is just like dicking around, waiting to see who gets the, toy, the coin toss to get into the playoffs. And then anything can happen in the playoffs because it's a crapshoot. And that sucks. And I don't think it's the luxury tax per se. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We need promotion and relegation in baseball. You need to have consequences at the end of the season for tanking we now have we're going to talk about the minor leagues in a second and obviously everything is 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 terrible there but they now have a really set structure around the country where you could have the marlins get relegated down into triple a and their season is going to suck because of it and that will be the (laughs) consequence of them not fielding a proper team there are no consequences for tanking at all in fact it is a good thing to do and that sucks for fans it sucks for the players and it sucks for the wider game and it's going to get even worse if they do expand the playoffs without the playoffs being more meaningfully difficult for uh for you know if they don't have longer series so that the stronger teams um uh, uh have a better chance of getting through so i i think it's i think it's terrible and the whole thing about 
Manfred saying we need to speed up the pace of play and you know runners on second and blah, 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 make it more exciting. But no, put a better product on the field and and make there be consequences for not putting a good product on the field. Fully endorsed. I'm fired up now. I'm fired up. <laughs> I love it. I think that I I think that the the relegation system makes a ton of sense. I think that the um, the Premier League the final Sunday is exciting in 18 different ways every year, uh, for the most part. Um, and I think having, I think the consequences make sense. I think for, you know, we're going to move to minor league, but to the, for the minor league communities who are, oh, my, you know, my team might make it up into the major leagues. Like, that's a huge moment. You had, you know, like, there was a, um, I think it was in the, uh, in the FA Cup, you had Tottenham, top level team playing, like, I mean, they were playing like, a, you know, guys who were like 40. But like it was a wonderful thing for everybody watched it. It was a beautiful thing. It was on t- people were like this is an, what an amazing thing. They beat them like 8-0, but it was like this um, you know it's like a, and that's the kind of thing that where you can I, I really genuinely think that sort of especially communities who don't have a team now can have that hope and belief that they might be able to do that to build a team. Like then you're going to have real investment and that to me is the key is the actual investment. Seems like it could yeah, be ma- major league 3 uh, could be like the you know about a, a major league baseball team that gets relegated. I think that could be, uh, or on the cusp of relegation. I think this is clearly where we're going. Go to Hollywood. Uh, yeah, Ted, like I tell you, you Ted Lazo for uh, exactly. For, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the okay, last round the horn here, and we'll we'll, we'll go to um, half-hearted attempt at empathy. But this is this we can make this one quick. So uh, Marlins got approved. We're starting to learn about fans in the stands. Marlin, Marlins got approved for twenty percent capacity uh, in the stands to start the season. <laughs> Too easy. Go ahead. Too easy. Come on, Terry. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is like an Ephus pitch you know is coming. <laughs> uh, when Matthew and I went to a Marlins game together in, what, was that 2017? Mm-hmm. There was, there was no way there was 10% capacity. <laughs> Just no way. Zero chance. I mean, the upper deck they, wasn't they had, open. They had completely closed the upper deck down entirely. <laughs> and I'm never going to get over the fact that the upper deck didn't have ac turned on and so was hot as balls i mean it was in swelteringly hot up there and i couldn't understand it how they could have ac down on downstairs but it was hot upstairs didn't the wouldn't the cold air run i just i still that's still twisting my melon i don't understand it at all but yeah they couldn't they couldn't possibly have had 10 percent uh crowd i think they announced like the announced number was like six and a half thousand <laughs> Which is like bullshit because they—they—that's the ticket sold, right? So, twenty percent seems like a an absurd target to try and reach, let alone a, a limit. <laughs> just I no think, yeah, it's um, you know, it's tough. I grew up a Dolphins fan uh, on the football side, and so uh, we spent some. My family's from Florida, so we spent some time in Miami. But yeah, I can't imagine risking my life to go see a Marlins game. And I can't believe, I can't believe Marlins fans would want to do that either. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. I mean, this, I guess this is a, it's just probably how it's going to be in a lot of stadiums this season. So, or at least to start the season. I mean, once we get closer to a target on vaccinations, maybe it'll, it'll open up more, but I imagine, you know, they had fans in, in the Brown, Browns games. I think we're at 15, 20% capacity. So I imagine they're going to allow the Cleveland baseball club to have similar, and I'm a, as a partial season ticket holder living in Chicago. <laughs> um, I'm very curious how they're going to handle this because it's not like they can give all their season ticket holders their seats. Um, so we'll see. Um, I'll keep everybody posted. 
Okay, uh, let's take a quick word from our sponsor and then we'll get into the half-hearted attempt at empathy. This episode of Battery Mates is brought to you by the National Air Traffic Controllers Association, which would like to wish you and all of Battery Mates Nation a happy start to spring training. At NACA, we're proud to represent nearly 20,000 highly skilled air traffic controllers, engineers, and other airplane-adjacent professionals. But we're even prouder to be the official aviation safety organization of Major League Baseball. And in 2021, baseball fans, we can't wait to guide you home. Thanks to National Air Traffic Controller Association for supporting Battery Mates. Okay. Um, Incredible. Yeah. If I don't get enough of those adverts on the Nationals radio call, they're now <laughs> all over the Battery Mates radio. But it's good to have them. And honestly, I was delighted to accept the offer of a... Um, private jet for the rest of the season uh instead of the usual uh, very very large check for sponsoring um battery mates uh i did after signing the contract think to myself that it was a rather large blunder in that i'm not allowed to leave the country there are <laughs> uh bans on leaving the country and i can't help but think that natka might have thought that ahead in the way that i didn't so um maybe maybe later this season if i can get my vaccine if we can get some of the lockdown rules eased in the UK, I can use that NACA jet and uh, come over for a Battery Mates Live episode at some point. But the principle's there, and we really appreciate the support. <laughs> sure do. <laughs> All right, let's go to our half-hearted attempt at empathy. We've heard a lot from Mike uh, and his um, somewhat mixed quality views on baseball already, but we're going <laughs> to dig in on... Uh, on 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 you, Mike. You know, as we we try to get people on the on the show who have a, a background in politics, but uh, a, a first love for for baseball. So we're going to talk about uh, politics in a second, but I want to start off by just talking about how you got started. I, I'm always interested in this one because I came into baseball aged like 33, uh, <laughs> never having seen or or really understood the game at all until I went to a Nats game, went on a, a work trip um, to, to Washington. But it's, it's very, very different for most of the people we talk to. So you, you became a fan early on. Talk us through how that how that got started. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually um, I'm named after Mickey Hatcher, who hit the uh, first home run in the 88 World Series. Uh, I was born the February after that. Um, in the in the third inning, Jose Canseco almost. My my parents were like, "We're gonna name him after whoever hits the first home run in the World Series." And Jose Canseco hits a ball deep to left field, but it gets caught. So, could have been Jose, but instead, it's uh, my I, Michael's my full name, but my my family has, has called me Mickey in the past. Um, grew up in California, and you know, uh, as opposed to some of my East Coast friends, I got to play outside a lot because it was sunny. Um, and we played a ton of baseball, a ton of wiffle ball, and naturally being so close to Dodger Stadium, we go to games all the time. Some of my earliest memories um, are my dad was obsessed with beating traffic. He was a like, classic Los Angeles fan. So the, I would get, you know, the seventh inning would come around, we'd get to, we'd see the visiting team hit, and then the Dodgers would come up, and he would start to, you know, all right, get everything ready. And I did get this pit in my stomach, just like, we got, he's like, we got, we got to get going. All right. So we walk out, you know, we're walking out as the seventh innings, inning, innings uh, ending and get in the car. And by the time we're in the car, we're out of the parking lot. I'm basically falling asleep to Vin Scully describing the end of the game. So that's some of my earliest memories is Vin Scully talking about the 
eighth and ninth inning of games. And so it was very, it was really nice when I got my driver's license and I got to go to a Dodger game and stay till the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's been something that I've held on to, which is like, I, you know, we don't leave until the very end. Um, so that's, it, that's how I kind of got into it. And obviously lots of ups and downs um, through that, the Piazza years and, uh, as we talked about, and uh, I was kind of came up during the we had the string of rookie of the years, uh, which was really nice. But honestly, not a lot of team success. Um, and that was tough. Uh, but by the time I was in college, I was driving from Santa Barbara three and a half hours, you know, every couple of days to go to Dodger games during the season. Um, and it just been a fan ever since when I, it was actually very nice. Um when I moved to Washington for work, uh, that the Nats just kept losing to the Dodgers in playoff series because I could go see playoff games, which was great. <laughs> I was at the game five in 2016 when Kershaw closed them out. That was a fantastic moment. Um, I did not go to any of the games in 2019 for some reason. I can't remember why. Um, <laughs> no, but it's been, uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a love-hate relationship. It's something that I feel um, it's a really big part of my life. It's something I, I care about deeply. I'm in this tough spot now because my kids grow up on, they're, we're in Brooklyn now. Um, so like I'm on this mission to stop my son and my, and my daughter from becoming Mets fans. Um, <laughs> but the damn apple, every time someone hits a home, we go to games at city field when the Dodgers are in town and that damn apple, it's all they talk about. <laughs> I like, I, I we don't, Dodger Stadium doesn't have anything like that. There's nothing cool. There's a, there's a 76 gas station <laughs> And there's like Dodger dogs and that's it. There's no apple. And so they're kind of like, yeah, the Mets have this apple that pops up. <laughs> it's like, guys, this is not negotiable for me. So <laughs> you want to be my kids and be Dodgers fans. If you want to be Mets fans, it's not going to work out for us. I, my, my, uh, my daughter is two and a half. And uh, I've, my wife and I, have, we live in Chicago, but uh, I've insisted that Ruby grew up a, a Cleveland baseball fan I don't care about any other sport. She can be a Bulls fan. She can be a Bears fan. She can like hockey. I don't know. Um, but it, baseball, uh, it, it, she can't, she's a Cubs fan. I swear to God. I swear to God. I'm, I'm, I'm in for a world of hurt. Okay. So you, you, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm doing okay on this front. My daughter thinks that the game is called Washington. <laughs> she to be watching baseball. She says, oh, daddy, are you watching Washington? She thinks the game is called Washington. I'm very proud of that. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, um, so, Mike, you you were born. I I just can't get over how risky your parents were deciding to name you. Uh, we have another kid on the way in March, and we're talking about naming this kid. And I just think we we, we should pick a random th- like the first person to answer the question right tonight on Jeopardy. It's that's the that's <laughs> the name. That's so incredibly risky. I got to go look at the box score uh, to see what what the other options are. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, my see. This is the thing: is that my parents were. My dad is a football fan. He loves football. It's his whole thing, you know. And my mom it, it hasn't really wasn't really into it. And so, baseball honestly became a way for me to like rebel because like my dad was just like he wanted me to play pee wee football and like I played a couple years, but I got my ass kicked because I was small. Um, but I could throw a, baseball was the only sport I was genuinely good at. Um, I was very bad at football. I wasn't good at soccer, as we call it here in America. Um, you know, I was bad at basketball. Football, or baseball was the only sport I was, like, genuinely good at. I had some friends who were getting, like, it was kind of like, you know, everyone has seen Sandlot. That's kind of like how my childhood was. Is we would show up at people's houses. We had a, There was a kid who had this, like, his dad had put down, like, turf, like, really short turf in his yard. And we would play a wiffle ball for hours. 
just hours and like it would just go on and on it wouldn't stop and fist fights in the middle and people it was just this wonderful and, and so it became this like um because the, the tough thing about baseball is you can't play it without a bunch of people um in person right so we had this big group of kids we all played together and if someone was missing we had to invent these ways i actually Many years later, um, working for the mayor of New York, he um, he likes to play softball on the weekends, and uh, we were I kind of like inadvertently came became like the helper on the, in the softball game on Sundays, in addition to being his communications director. And one day, like only seven people showed up, and it was he was like, "Oh, well, we can't play. We don't have a team." I was like, "No, no, no, sir, it's cool. The entire right side of the infield is foul. Everything on the left side of the infield is in." And like he he was like it was like this like. And I like that's that's just from like being a kid being like, we only got six people. How are we going to play? OK, this is a foul. This is out. You got to do this if you hit it here or whatever. And so that was kind of like and we got to I was very lucky. Um, I got to actually take infield at Dodger Stadium when I was little um, with Tommy Lasorda. And uh, our coach had our literally coach had written in a letter being like, you know, these kids are great or whatever. And it was an amazing thing. Powerful thing. He had his heart attack like three days later. <laughs> Oh my gosh! And um, uh, the heart attack that eventually caused him to retire. And our coach at the time jokingly was like, "It was probably because you guys." <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "I swear for I, for for not a short amount of time, genuinely believed that me and my friends were the ones that had given Tommy Lasorda a heart attack and had caused him to retire from baseball." <laughs> and it was this. It was a very you know, it's one of those like traumatic things that you just kind of like put in your, you're just like, don't think about it. And then every once in a while you remember how terrible you, and I just remember being like for days, just like, cause he was a hero. It was like, yeah, this is the manager of the Dodgers. Like, Oh my God, I can't believe we did that. And then he retired and it was this like, <laughs> what have we done? What have we done? Finally, someone was like, it was a joke, <laughs> but the pain was very real. I was like, I think I was like seven or eight and it was just like, it was the worst. You are you are sure it's a joke now? I'm I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I have not seen the medical records, but I'm pretty sure it was not stressed. We he, not stressed from taking infield with us, but maybe it could have. It could have been. It could have been. In in his autobiography, he does talk about uh, a little league team that it caused him <laughs> undue stress uh, right <laughs> before the Dodgers. Yeah, right. Managing the Dodgers was nothing, but I had to little infield this little league, and it was terrible. <laughs> I haven't hit grounders in years. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we want to talk about um, working for for Bernie for a bit and uh, thinking about uh, coming on. I talked to a couple of uh, friends, mutual friends, um, and uh, uh, your comrade from the from the presidential campaign, Michael Whitney, suggested uh, a way of trying to get at, at your love for the, the Dodgers and 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 your um, love for Bernie uh, by asking you this question: Would you rather have? a Bernie Sanders presidency or that the Dodgers move to Brooklyn? I would, oh, I, I would rather, I would much rather Bernie be president. I would trade the 2020 World Series for a Bernie be president. Would you say that Bernie would rather be president or have the Dodgers move back to Brooklyn? <laughs> That's a tougher one. That's a tougher That's one. That's a tougher one. <laughs> I remember, so working for him, obviously, um, core to his story is Walter O'Malley taking the team to Los Angeles. So there's always been this tension, I don't know on his part so much, but on my part, of being careful about mentioning being a Dodger fan. 
And um, it's only happened once where he's like, it's directly come up. Like he's aware, you know, he knows I'm a Dodger fan, whatever, but like where we were talking about it in the office and his reaction was just like, so visceral. He's like, he just remembered. (laughs) And it was right. There's a big, um, in our revolution, the book that was, that he wrote after the 2016 campaign, there's a big section about the Dodgers leaving Brooklyn. And I remember when it, when we got the first copy, the galley copy, before it was published and we were going through uh looking at it and one of my colleagues was like you gotta read you gotta read this whole section and i was just like i can never i can't ever mention to him again that i'm a dodgers fan i'm a dodgers <laughs> fan it just doesn't work it's like like i'm gonna be it's impossible um because it is like so and that obviously has led to this minor league fight that he that he was in during the campaign and now which is like he brought this team to vermont uh, the, the Lake Monsters, which have now been unfortunately disbanded by Major League Baseball. Um, and it is this like very, you know, the injustice of all of this. And honestly, the community that comes from baseball fans, I mean, honestly, what we're doing here and, and what you feel at the stadium and what I was doing as a kid playing with all my friends, um, you know, that is very similar to the community that I think he wants to put together when it comes to uh, racial and social and economic justice is like a world where uh, all of us are, you know, in this together kind of thing. And that's, um, you know, that is a feeling that I think all of us can relate to, you know, whether it's heartbreak, whether it's triumph, um, whether it's like the fly ball that hit Matt Holiday right in the nuts that when the Dodgers <laughs> won the game, like, and we all, so I, I have a picture of me and my dad and a friend of mine uh, at that game at the, at the, um, the James Loney game where he, uh, Mark Loretta game, if, if you're being uh, historically correct, where he, we ended up winning, and um, we're both, all three of us are just like, we're soaked in sweat. Our faces are red. And it's just like, we didn't, we don't play for the Dodgers. <laughs> we don't pay their bills. We don't have anything to do with the team. We have no impact on their personnel decisions. And yet you feel, and I felt, you know, I, I was, before this, I was reflecting on the, the um, when Urias threw the strike to win. Um you worry in these moments, and I think everyone's experienced this, where something good happens and you're worried that it's not going to live up to what you've built it up to. And you're like, you know, I've spent, I was born right after the 88 World Series, so I'd never experienced it before. And I experienced a lot of heartbreak. And you're worried that when it happens, you're going to be like, I remember feeling, you know, toward the end of game six, like, oh, is this going to, am I going to, is this really going to be as good and I remember texting Tim Tagaris, who's a Cubs fan, um, and being like, "Hey, what, like, what's gonna, you know, if the, you know, what's gonna happen?" And he's like, "You know, just wait." And, and it was this like wonderful. It's been better than I can imagine. It's amazing. You know, all I built it up to be, and yet at the same time, like I just said, like, who am I? I'm just some random guy who like loves a baseball team. <laughs> what is this? And my, you know, my my wife experiences this too, where she's just like. <laughs> you don't what's going on like what are you I'm just like and I, I remember I woke both my kids were asleep and it was this really nice like cold water moment where I was like guys wake up like the Dodgers won and um, <laughs> both of them were like we're not getting up <laughs> and I was like cool, cool cool that's cool and I just sat there watching it over and over again but it's uh, you know it's um, and that is the you know that is core to a lot of the that emotion is core to what I think it just plugs me into being human I think all of us feel that as like it's this real this like very like I feel the most I feel the most like human as a human being when I'm in Dodger Stadium watching them win or lose 
and feeling that it reminds me like, okay, I'm a person in the world and, you know, I have a responsibility to make sure other people can have this experience of feeling like people. And I think that's to the very core of what Bernie's political project is, which is that every person should be able to feel that dignity and, um, and experience life that way. And I think it's, uh, to me, that has always been the, what I like about, you know, what I've loved about working for him and what I love about being a rabid baseball fan. <laughs> that was an excellent <laughs> way to sum that up. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's so, I mean, that's really powerful and, and so true. And I think the added bit to that, which connects it back to what you were saying about the, the minor league situation is not just being able to be part of that, but to have agency in it as well. That one of the things about sports, and we get this in soccer, and you know, Toby's had this um, in in football, that we invest everything, and our sports teams give meaning to our communities and to our lives, and we have zero power, zero power, um, and you know that what happened with the Browns, what's happened to the Lake Monsters, um, we see this all the time. Uh, with football in the UK, with teams in the lower leagues going bust and, and big teams getting so far away from their fans that, you know, that's the the model where we have some agency and some power over the things that matter in our lives and have big impact on us is right for baseball, but it's also right for everything in, in our, you know, that's what democracy is to me. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it's, you know, Fever Pitch is a really good, uh, the the book obviously is great. And that's one of the main points I think that's made in the book, which is that what makes this the investment we put into it is that we don't have control, you know, but it's also, and we've also experienced this too, like you're walking down the street, you're at the airport. I mean, this happens to me in New York all the time. I'll be walking down the street and I'll see somebody with a Dodger hat on. And like, there's just this like instant, and we know, and it's like this very, it's obviously on a bigger scale when you're in a stadium with 40,000 people, but like, it's a very cool thing that is like super rare. That That is true. Except if you're a Yankees fan, that is absolutely true. It never happens. To Yankees fans, they do not have hearts. They do not have souls. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, so just I want, really quickly on the, on the minor league piece. Um, I'd love to know uh, what, what's your sense of the, you know, maybe elaborate a little bit more about that, about Bernie's fight there and, you know, where we head from here. I know that the, the, the contracting of the, the minor leagues in general is a, is a big, is a big um, effort, is a is big part of what Major League Baseball wants to do. Um, and not necessarily a, a great uh, outcome here. Uh, but on the flip side, <laughs> minor leaguers are getting a small raise, I'm here, I'm told. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. That's right. That's right. They'll be on on sort of starvation wages, not full starvation wages. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think there's um. This is goes back to the conversation we were having about owners and players. Is that the power dynamic? And this is true when people talk about politics too. The power dynamic is so out of whack, and it's never actually discussed. Right. It's kind of this thing that it's the air we breathe, it's the water we swim in, but it's never something that people actually take a minute to be like you know, this is important that we have to acknowledge this problem. And I think the minor leagues is a great example of this, where it's like, it's pure profit motive. It's just to make more money. And the at the same time, and the owners feel this way, 
you know, they feel like they're, this is a losing investment, blah, 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 whatever, all this stuff. But they're given so much amount of monopoly power by, there's no competition, all this stuff. Congress gives them a ton of power. Locally, they're given, uh, you know, all this money to build stadiums and all this stuff. And yet that's never acknowledged, right? There's this kind of like this, um, oh, I built this myself. But it's like, yeah, uh, like you're standing on the shoulders of tons and tons of people. And, I, you know, this is true. Honestly, this is honestly part of the Dodgers legacy that has been something I've been, um, you know, there's a great book by Eric Nussbaum um, about the building of Dodger Stadium and the, the communities that were ripped apart right. um, in Chavez Ravine. And it's this very what it essentially is. It's what's happening with minor league, with minor league baseball, which is that powerful people get whatever they want. And if you don't have power, you can't stop them. And you know, O'Malley was like, this is where I want my stadium. <laughs> and that was it. And there were some, there were some hurdles they had to cross and some, you know, some, some draw, some quote unquote drama about it. But for the most part, the powerful got what they wanted. And uh, that's what's happening here with minor league baseball. And, uh, you know, for anyone who's been to a minor league baseball game, they're awesome. Yeah. They're awesome. I remember going to um, there's a team out in in, uh, in the valley called the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, and we went out to a couple of games. They were, a pod, they were a Padres affiliate for a while. They were great. It was so much fun. I had more fun at minor league games than <laughs> you do at major league games. You know, there's a, I went to a Portland uh, game in Portland. Uh, it's really fun, and honestly, there's a lot of innovation happening at that level, and there's a lot of interesting stuff happening. And it isn't you know, it's about the community. And standing together and being for something, even if it's like we won the Pacific Coast League. And this is, you know, this is true. And this is goes back to the the football example of you know Tottenham and that lower level team playing each other. The folks who are fans of that lower level team will never forget that day. And that's like a very cool thing. And the Dodgers winning the World Series is like the ultimate goal. It's this massive thing. But for these communities, like their team coming back and winning, doing something amazing. The first game that someone went to, like those, and this is, I think, how the senator thinks about it, especially when it comes to the Lake Monsters. It's like, those are memories that matter no matter what. And um, for some reason, this stupid game where the bases are 90 feet apart and uh, there's nine players on the field, it makes us feel something. And that's important. And we should be able to find ways to hold on to things that make us feel stuff. And unfortunately, the powerful are committed to killing all of that. I, I think it's so true about minor league games being special in a, in a, in a different way. I mean, there's, I love being at the Nationals Park and I love watching the Nationals. And um, 2019's a season I'll hold on to forever, 19 and 31. And, you know, coming back from behind in the wild card and in the, um, you know, divisional series and and everything else it was amazing but there's just something fun in a completely different way about minor league games it's really interesting my wife when we lived in new york um and chicago my wife would never come to like the idea that it would even be a topic of discussion that she would come to watch a nationals game or, or like a game at the mets or the yankees would it would be like a ludicrous thing to suggest <laughs> But but anytime I said, do you want to come and what should we go to the Cyclones? Like, let's go to the Cyclones this weekend. She thought that was a great idea. Anytime we had relatives from England come and visit, we'd always take them to the Staten Island Yankees because you go over on the Staten Island Ferry, which is free. It's beautiful. It's a great trip across the, the harbor. The view 
in the stadium across the city is amazing you get the hot dog you get the experience and it's like no stress and she loved that like, but like mlb ridiculous idea well of course I'm not, i don't want to come to a game minor league baseball yeah sounds great i'd love to do that and it's really it was really interesting to me but the thing that's so important about the you know the late monsters and the other teams that are, are, are losing out is that it's it, it's not just minor league baseball that's disappearing these this is like one part of a dismantling of communities this is one like one of the things that's fun about minor league is you get to go it's a place you can go and hang out with your buddies and you can have your kids there and it's not so expensive and it's kind of like a thing to do while you're being part of a community and minor league baseball isn't the only one of those things that's been taken away and replaced by something that can make money for people that are outside of the community a long way away and unaccountable to us and that seems to be the problem to me that that but also the fact that i just i just don't understand the numbers here like i understand that you want to rationalize the leagues and make it a bit more structured and it seems perfectly set up for promotion relegation like that would be great why are we saying that there's going to be what is it 26 36 fewer teams there's money people want to go and watch these games there is a way of making this work that maybe doesn't make you a load of money but it can still work and i just don't i don't get how i don't i don't get what's in it for mlb yeah there's um this is a big we're getting obviously philosophical here but this is a bit like the um like these car commercials where they have the guys like you know oh i can open my garage door with my voice and it's like okay <laughs> that's literally the only like the commercial is the only thing you can imagine using the feature for <laughs> and it's like okay you have this whole thing and it's this big selling point but it's like i have alexa in my car to play my spotify mix it's like <laughs> what good is that actually doing for me right like, what what good is that actually and i think honestly what we're losing and because we have, we live in an economic system that that skews toward profit motive and you know uh barons of industry deciding what is good and what is bad you have these experiences that are not easily monetized um my memories of you know sitting in the back seat driving home listening to vin scully describe the final two innings of a dodger game uh, you can't really sell that <laughs> you know you might be able to put it in a nice movie you know you might be able to like whatever but it's not something that you can find uh, to monetize. And I, and I think we've got this, this mentality that drives everything, which is what do we, you know, how can we actually, you know, and it's, what ends up happening is it is taking the, and this is back to our point about robot umps and everything that we love about baseball, which is the humanity. Barry Bonds, does he belong in the Hall of Fame? Does he not? I don't know. Is he a person who made mistakes, who did dumb shit and he shouldn't have done it? Of course, that's fascinating. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, the same thing. All this stuff, all these stories. And that's what's great. That's what I really enjoyed about the Hall of Fame is that they tried to humanize all these scandals, right? They try to put them in context. These people are making decisions. You know, you may not agree with the decisions, but they're people. And I think, um, you know, so much of the way our current economic system works here in the States and, of course, in the UK is that it's just like it's trying to derive that that's not worth anything. So we got to get rid of it. We got to find a way to, it's much more important for you to be able to open your garage door with your voice than it is for you to go enjoy three hours of a baseball game and drink two beers, you know? 
It is the way we do it in the UK, but the the, the plummy accent does soften the blow somewhat. Um, much it sounds much more polite when you're uh, you're getting screwed over by the by the by the man. Um, so this is this has been a this has been a fantastic conversation. I think we could go on for uh, uh, the same again. Before we before we um, wrap things up, uh, we are going to be holding our annual prestigious preseason prediction contest again soon before opening day we will be soliciting um uh, your entries for a uh, a really um a special prize uh that we haven't decided on yet uh we also haven't decided on last year's special prize um but we will get there we'll get there eventually we do always get the prizes done um we just don't have a time limit for it but there will be a prize and there will be a prediction contest where you will tell us how many team how many games your team will win this season whether they will make the playoffs and uh who will be in the world series uh, and who will win uh mike this isn't your official entry uh you uh, uh will be able to revise and extend your remarks uh, between now and the closure of the contest but give us your preview for uh uh, uh how many um, games over 120 you think the Dodgers will win this this upcoming season I love that um, yeah I look I'm I think we're looking you know we're looking at 105 107 right around there I think it's going to be Dodgers Yankees in the World Series uh, you know I what's what sucks about Major League Baseball is it's like a total crapshoot once you get to the playoffs especially if they decide that not this year but if they decide to expand the playoffs it's going to be a mess but um you know, I do. Uh, I've commiserated with some other people about this, and I'm sure you feel this way too, Matthew. Once you win one, it does sort of take a little bit of the pressure off. Uh, you know, I, I I want us to keep winning, of course, but I will say I'm. You know, even today, as pitchers and catchers report, I'm still relishing uh, the World Series win. And uh, I I noticed the other day, my wife actually she was we were. Uh, I was like, I walked out of the, after a shower and I was like wearing my Dodger World Series shirt. And she's like, you don't own any other clothes now that don't say <laughs> <laughs> Dodgers World Series on them. And I was thinking, I was like, yeah, it's either I, I only have Bernie t-shirts and Dodgers World Series championship t-shirts. So, <laughs> Well, I, I, we, I, I know it. I have good information that from Chief Dodgers correspondent Jeff Gabriel that 30, 32 years uh, drought is actually a long drought in Major League Baseball. Um, I guess the Clevelands are pretty much an outlier here, but um, I can't fully relate, but I'm told that it was pretty harrowing to be a Dodger Dodgers fan the last 10 years, especially. Jeez. So Not congratulations on, on, on actually Thank you. getting yeah, the Yeah, I did. I did. I do have in my Twitter bio, I do have, uh, I debated this for a while, I do have World Series champion in there. <laughs> you know, I didn't do anything. I don't play for the team, but I feel like they wouldn't have done it without me. So um, I'm going to keep it in there. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna update my my Twitter bio to say full season World Series <laughs> reigning World Series champions. I love it. I love. It. I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about whether the Dodgers, you know, they have improved, and uh, people are saying, well, will they repeat? And I just I just don't think it counts as a repeat. This will be the, <laughs> this will be a, a World Series if they uh, if they if they win it. How did we Dodgers not get Yankees into this? Is... How did we not get into this on this podcast? <laughs> it's great. It's perfect. Yes, this is a great conversation to end on. But I do. Think, I will say this. I do think the team, because of the Bauer trade or the Bauer signing, and because of Kike Hernandez and Jock Peterson leaving, I do think. I, sadly, I do feel they will not be as fun to watch this year. Um, always going to have people on the team who you dislike 
folks you have problems with. Jeff Kent, you know, obviously was one of those folks for a long time. Uh, but, um, you know, it's just, you can't you try to keep your, pol I try to keep my, check my politics at the door when it comes to check my politics at the turnstile. Um, <laughs> but it's really hard when you have a guy like Trevor Bauer, who's going to be on the mound. And it'd be one thing if he was just went to work and was kind of an asshole, but he kind of relishes being an asshole, which is uh, unfortunate. It'll yeah, be interesting. We, we, we know we know what we get with baseball. I mean, we did have Sean Doolittle on the team, um, uh, which was incredible, and did it did genuinely make up for the fact that the half of the team went to the White House after the championship, and um, uh, Suzuki wore a, a MAGA hat and and that kind of stuff. Sean Doolittle coming out the next day and explaining to them why they were wrong and and bad and should feel bad was such a relief because they could have really really spoiled the moment but yeah i am i am trying to very carefully calibrate my asks to my friends who are currently working in the biden administration i'm waiting <laughs> for that summer visit so i can say hey remember me i haven't asked you for anything in a while i need i need to be able to be in there for the ceremony thanks <laughs> yeah that's a great note to wrap it on. Uh, Matthew, do you have any advice? We'll be back uh, sometime before spring training ends, I'm assuming. Um, <laughs> who knows? Uh, with with uh, another episode. But, Matthew, if, until then, um, what, what's your what's your advice on how to how to handle spring training from afar? I know none of, no, nobody's really going uh, down to Arizona or Florida. At least the fans aren't really going down. Matthew, yeah. do you have any advice? Well, the important thing is that no matter how far away you are, how much you can follow it, everyone can get involved in spring training. Shag those balls. Shag those balls. <laughs>